Hi, I'm Roy Crown from Revelation Trust, and welcome to this new series of Gospel Entrepreneurs, the second in the series. In this podcast, I'll find out what makes Christian entrepreneurs stand out, whether they're in church, business, or the community. And I'm thrilled to have my great friend, Manoj. Manoj is a Baptist minister, church leader in North London. He's also the chair of the Evangelical Alliance, chair of the board, and he's a fascinating guy, got an amazing story. So I'm really looking forward to what he's gonna bring to us. You'll be encouraged, you'll be challenged, It's amazing. So sit back and join me in conversation with Manoj. As you were growing up, Manoj, did you do any entrepreneurial things as a kid at school? Kind of sell sweets on the street? What did you? I did something which I regret. So I sold cigars and also I sold a bit of alcohol because my best friend, that's the industry that his, his parents were in. So I was able to buy alcohol off him and sell it on. But that quickly drew to a close when uh, when I was on a bus one day and one of the guys decided to throw the empty bottle out of the bus window. Fortunately, <laughs> nobody was hurt, but I just thought this is not the line of business I want to be involved in. Okay, so it's always been in you and then you got into property, is that right? That's right, yeah. I mean, I, I was a teacher back then, but I kind of saw that as an interim thing as I was trying to work out how I'd make money in business. And what happened was I I bought my first property in Wandsworth, did a lot of research into that. It was on a road where actually nobody really wanted to buy, but I'd kind of hedged my bets that if East Putney was getting more and more expensive, people would want to buy on that particular road. And, And it was successful. We sold it a couple of years later for more than double. And that kind of enabled me to enter the world of property, which was buy to let properties initially. You know, you buy a flat, you manage it, you rent it out. But it it quickly grew within a few years to buying and selling off-plan properties. So looking at the plans, going to developer and saying, well, I want that particular flat. You exchange contracts on it and you complete on it 18 months later. But what I did find out was that if they gave me the ability to sign on the contract, I didn't even need to wait till the end. And so we grew effectively a business around property trading where we'd buy and sell off-plan apartments. I mean, it started off with a few and really at its peak, we were buying whole blocks basically. So we, we controlled the whole block. We controlled the prices as well. So if people wanted to buy in that block, they wouldn't go to the developer, they'd come to us. So that's kind of the scale of the business and how it quickly grew. Yeah, and you scaled it up to like 70, 80 million, didn't you, man? It was a big, big business, wasn't it? It was huge. It's obviously not the way I'd run business as a Christian. It was very high risk, high risk in the sense that, I mean, the way that we scaled it up to that kind of level was we'd exchange contracts on a block but on the same day as we'd exchange with the builders, we'd have already found our buyers and they would exchange contracts on the same day as us. So we're taking a lot of risk in securing these apartments by paying reservation fees, you know, with the prospect that actually we could lose all the reservation fees if we couldn't find enough buyers to exchange. There were a lot of sleepless nights. It was not good for my health, but back then my, my love was for money money was my god and and that's what drove me and it all came crashing down and that was the result in you coming to faith in christ wasn't it what happened around that manage 
So 2007 was like a really good year for us. I had 900 apartments in the pipeline to complete in 2008 and 9. So my ambition had been in, to be in the Times Rich list. And I knew that in 2008 I would be. But we all know what happened. Yeah. The crash happened. The mortgage market collapsed. And effectively, we had no business overnight because what happened is that banks effectively stopped lending on those sort of contracts that have been assigned on the contracts where you'd buy from a builder and sell on to investors. So it was an absolute mess. I mean, we were contracted on about 300 million pounds worth of property all over the country. And there is effectively no business. I mean, there's no cash suddenly coming in. So it wasn't just that that led me to faith, though it did play a part in it. I think the crash really softened my heart and made me realize that you can't put your trust and faith in money. But actually, it was my son's illness, which happened at the same time. And he'd been hospitalized on several occasions as a child. He was two years old in 2008 and always had breathing difficulties. So we knew the drill, you take him to the hospital, they give him the nebulizer. Except on this particular occasion in 08, the nebulizer failed to work. And as I rushed into hospital, because my wife had got there in an ambulance, they said, look, it's not working. We're going to have to rush into resuscitation. And Roy, I was carrying my boy into resuscitation and his airway shut down. So he, he stopped breathing and the room was packed within literally seconds, doctors, nurses flying in. I don't know how, how they got there so quickly, but they had to intubate him. And there was all kinds of complications. And what do you do in one of those situations? I mean, we're ushered into the room next door. You pray, don't you? Even if you've never prayed before, you're praying. I, I think there's an innate sense in all of us, Roy, that God exists. But who did you pray to? Because you were a Hindu, weren't you? So I was a, I was a Hindu, but, but Roy, I, I heard the Christian message as a child. Okay. And, and there was something that I noticed as a child when I was in primary school, when I heard the message, was that there was a presence in that place. And I saw that the way that Christians believed and prayed and they had this relationship so i felt very drawn to it from a very young age but i parked it to the side yeah i don't know who i was praying to but i did feel more connected to the god of the bible i mean the way the story continues is my son was in st thomas's for four days and wired up to all kinds of machinery the doctor said we don't know how it's going to pan out for your son he's in a bad way but christians prayed for him roy and on that fourth day, he sat up in bed. Wow. And so that's really what led me into church. But the crash was quite significant because I became a Christian after seeing God miraculously heal my son. But I went through two years of turmoil because of the business. And that kept me close to God and connected to God. And so it really grew my faith going through a difficult time. And that probably changed the values that you were holding. It must have had a big change on going for the big car, the money, all of that, all of a sudden you saw through that and you thought, hey, life's not about that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, Roy, for a number of years after I'd become a Christian, I didn't want to have anything to do with business. I didn't want to go there. I said, business is wrong. It's all about greed and money. And I was praying hard to God, take me out of business. <laughs> and God has never taken me out of business. In fact, I, I found myself being mentored by an Anglican vicar who was a business chaplain and who taught at London School of Theology 
on business as mission. And she started to show me that business can be used for good and actually business can be used to advance the gospel. And you continue to be entrepreneurial. You're now obviously a church pastor, but before that you worked with Salvation Concern and you've set up another thing. How have you brought that entrepreneurial and how critical is it to be gospel front and center, but take the risk or take the step of faith, we may call it, or release that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. How have you done that, Manoj? Well, once I understood that business is good and God has given me a certain skill set, well, why not just apply it to the advancement of the gospel? And so I carried those ideas and skill sets into ministry effectively. It was South Asian Forum, not South Asian Concern, but, oh, also, in, but also in other areas as well. But, you know, what I realized in business is some really, really simple things that we need to take seriously and that could be very helpful to the church. So for example, when I first went to church, I'd look around me and I'm thinking, wow, this room is packed with so many people. Now, if I'm in business, I would want to know who those people are, what their skill sets are, because if we've got a goal, we're gonna achieve that goal much better if we work together, as opposed to a few people. But sometimes what churches do is it's a select few that are basically leading and running the church. So that was something that I really thought very much about and in ministry i'm always looking to see who am i working with how can i facilitate it in such a way that the whole team is operating and using their gifts for god's glory i'll give you a quick example roy in my first role as a church pastor is a church in east london and it was a church of about 60. i had about 50 people over my time there come up and lead an intercessory prayer and whenever I asked them, I said, oh, could you lead prayers for this coming Sunday? They'd say, what, you're asking me? I said, yeah, you can lead prayers, can't you? I said, just write it down if you want. It could be short, long. But what that did was it made people realize that they don't need to just be spectators. They're part of the kingdom. And it showed that they had value and worth and it gave them the confidence to step into. So that's what I've always done in ministries, always made sure that I'm there facilitating others. Because, and, and anyway, that is one of the key roles of a pastor to equip people for service. You're a bit like a, a conductor of an orchestra and you've got everybody playing in all their different roles, but you're conducting it and kind of facilitating that and making that happen, which is leadership, discovering people's gifts. But give us a little bit more of how you've done the entrepreneurial thing in a ministry context, now a follower of Jesus, a pastor, you're also the chair of the EA board. So how are you applying that to some of the things you've done, Manoj? Maybe two things that will be worth mentioning. One of them is Instant Apostle. Instant Apostle is a Christian publishing house. And this company came at a time when I was writing a book on business's mission with an Anglican vicar. But what she said to me, and it took a while for me to be convicted that this was of God, but she said, I don't think that God is telling us to send our book, because we wrote this book together, to another publishing house. I believe God is saying we publish it. And I said, no, no, Bridget, that's not true. But then when I went into the place of prayer, a conviction came. And so I said, well, we can't not do it, because that would be to disobey God. But I said, we don't know anything about publishing. But the great thing is that when God calls you to do something, 
he always equips and he always brings the right people around. And so I've always thought to try and be humble and to be obedient to whatever God says. However difficult I find saying yes. But I tell you how my business skills helped that publishing house, because what we felt was that this should be a publishing house that releases lots of new authors. It does release existing authors, but new authors. But how could we create a business that could sustain that? So effectively what we did was we created a model where new authors could come in. They might not sell the quantity of high profile authors, but they've got an important message that God wants to bring. And so the model was basically, we're running this sort of hybrid model. It's not self-publishing. We're very selective on the books that we publish, but they buy a certain quantity, not a huge amount, but just enough that we can cover our costs. And it just keeps things going. It's, it's going to be it's 10 years now since that's been going. It's oh, published wow. numerous books. There's a lot of thinking that I had to go through. How can I create this model that's going to work? How can it work for the people that are working there? I mean, the other thing that we did during the pandemic, which might be of interest, is Hope 1513. So as the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown, within two weeks of being in lockdown, we set up a new initiative through the church called Hope 1513, which was to resource the church during the pandemic with all kinds of resources. And so rather than retreating during the pandemic, we were thinking, well, look, this is an opportunity and actually the gospel needs to advance at this time. And actually all we did was we put a website together and put a small team of people in the church that were good at writing and creative. And suddenly we were releasing resources and then it attracted a bit of funding and attracted interest from the Baptist union that supported us with a lot of our kind of resources. And, and some of those were downloaded like, I mean, one of them was downloaded a few hundred times and it was right. primarily for church ministers. Isn't that the entrepreneur, though, is you see a situation, you see, quote unquote, a crisis, and you don't see it in a negative way. You see it as an opportunity. There are Absolutely. many people that, that kind of think negatively. They kind of have a, a whining or a whinging. The entrepreneur thinks, hang on a minute, this is a God opportunity. I'm going to create something from nothing. That's kind of the entrepreneurial spirit, isn't it, Manoj? Yes, it is. And I think so, because in business, what happens in business is, is, is culture is changing quickly. And so you have to quickly move fast. You know, there's so many problems, so many hurdles along the way. And so you just have to get adept at, at, at changing to the situation quickly. And I suppose... That's really what helped us to do that. And, and, and even as a church, we made changes very, very quickly. But when you've gone through a property crash, you learn a lot of lessons. But that change culture, obviously, in business, it's the bottom line. I often find in the church that that moving quick, adjusting. Now, we've all had to adjust. COVID has forced it upon us. But historically, it's one of the places least resistant to change. So how are you as a pastor in a church context coping with that? And what would you say to other pastors that may be listening where change is not, they look at the culture, they look at the context, but they don't change to adjust. I'm not saying we change the gospel, but we've got to be that kind of person, haven't we, Manoj? I think it comes down to the word control. 
what God did with me was he stripped that away. I always wanted to be in control. But the thing is that God has the strategy. You know, God gave Moses the strategy. God gave Jacob the strategy. And so what I emphasize a lot, particularly within our church context, is two things. One of them is prayer but to pray in such a way that we are discerning together the mind of Christ and to pray with expectancy that God will speak and God will do something. So, so prayer is really, really significant. So we pray a lot as a church, but asking God, give us the strategy. And the other thing is unity. What I've seen is as where there's unity in prayer, God blesses. I've just seen that happening. I've had, there, is I've had a people psalm, say to, there is a psalm that says that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. God blesses unity. <laughs> so I think sometimes it's the simple things. And the great thing with prayer is it, it's coming to God and saying, well, actually, I don't have the answers. I'm not in control. But you can provide the strategy and you're calling us to work with you. And we've got to cooperate with you. It's like God is a CEO. And I'm one of the directors and I get to spend time with God in the boardroom and we discuss and he shares a bit of the strategy and I get to give some input and then we move on together. He's ultimately in control. But the beauty of God is that he allows us to bring sort of ideas to the table. So we know our worth and value in working with God in that way. You still have to bring leadership. When God speaks, there's still a need, particularly if you're bringing in a change culture or, and you may have some people that have been in a church context for a long, long time or done things in a certain way. Now you pray that God changes their heart as they pray, but you've still got to bring leadership somewhere, Manoj. You've still got to bring leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we see in the case of Moses. He was a reluctant leader, wasn't he? <laughs> you know, God was saying, you are going to lead the Israelites. And he was reluctant. And the transformation in him, you know, he did bring leadership. But he was also a man that consistently prayed and surrendered his life to God, didn't he? So he had that kind of relationship with God. But he also had the relationship with the people where he knew that he was listening to God and speaking to the people as well and trying to bring leadership there. So it's holding it all together, isn't it? Being entrepreneurial, what have you done differently in a local church context? Obviously, you initiated this as soon as COVID kicked off. We're now two years in and maybe kind of coming out and we can't do things the same, can we, manage? We've got to think a bit differently, haven't we? Yes. So what business people tend to do is that they tend to sort of step back from a situation and look at it, because actually that's where the answers come. It's just from pausing and just observing what is going on and then discerning what will be the next step. So one thing that I noticed very quickly is people are crying out for community. And so our initiative, Hope 1513, we changed its priorities all around helping churches to build community around food. 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 Everything is around food. So last week we had a lunch in our church. And what was amazing was to see a number of the people that had come in for that lunch. They were not part of the church. Uh, in fact, one of the families in particular, I noticed they were in church last Sunday. And so I think people want community. And the Bible says so much about community. I mean, Jesus literally ate his way through the Gospels. And we don't do enough of it in church. I suppose that's one of the ways that we've adapted in this season. Well, you wrote a book 
around food and ministry and all of that. But we spend a lot of our time eating and uh, using it as church community. So, so that's one thing, and you've seen the fruit of it. So you just share a meal. Well, in my own personal story of how I came to faith, this Christian couple prayed for my son and he was healed. But where the relationship began was this Christian couple inviting me to their home for food. And it was around the table that my heart was softened, basically. The barriers that I had to the Christian faith came tumbling down because I was sitting and eating with Christians. And the conversation naturally flowed onto spiritual matters. And I think that's why Jesus ate so much with people. Yes, it was to build friendship, but in a natural way to share the truths of the gospel as well. And I think that's really important. I mean, as somebody coming from a different faith background, I remember that what I didn't want was to be preached at, but what I did want was friendship and community. And let's be honest, we all want friendship. We all want to be loved. Uh, yeah, and the reality is that when you're sitting around a table, the conversation is not always fixed on one thing. It jumps, it shifts around. And I think that's the important part of it because you don't do a full-on faith thing. Faith comes in, but then you move on and talk about the, the Brussels sprouts or the chicken or whatever. And so you're building relationship, but those little seeds are being planted in that faith conversation over food. Absolutely. And the seeds are being planted. Roy, I heard the Christian message as a child. You know, in that school, the seed was planted. Over 20 years later, when I'm praying for my son, I feel more connection with the God of the Bible because of something that happened over 20 years ago. The great thing with eating together is, well, we all love food anyway, but it creates space, doesn't it? We're just creating space for the Holy Spirit to be at work. And that's why I try and do as much of it as I can. I had, I had some guys around my house the other day for breakfast, for example. There's nine guys. There was no real spiritual content. There was no discussion around anything that I'd kind of planned. We just had a big fry up. But what was interesting is the conversation moved on to spiritual matters and I didn't exactly. even direct it. It just did. Because that's what happens at meals. That's what happens... Whoever you're talking to at a meal, you'll sit there, you'll be there together, which is amazing. And some cultures, the whole evening is around the meal. You know, you, you don't just walk you're there and another course comes. Hey, Manoj, it's been great talking to you. You've written your story, haven't you? You've kind of got it in a book form now. That's right. So, yes, well, I did have a version of my story published some, some years ago. But there's a new version coming out, an updated uh, version. It's called Filthy Rich, The Property Crash That Saved My Life. And it's available to pre-order on Amazon now, but it will be available in bookshops and through online retailers in October when it's being released. So it's Filthy Rich. It's obviously published by Instant well, Apostle. It is, yeah. It was originally published by Monarch of Lion Hudson back in 2015. But the story's moved on so significantly. And obviously, I'm a church minister now. And there was so much more that really needs to be added to the story. What's more, I'd run out of all my copies. I literally give them away like Smarties, you know, <laughs> because it's my testimony. So I do share it and just give them away. So it just felt the right time. And I've been praying over this for about the last 
yeah, it felt now's the time to release the book and hopefully be a blessing to people. Well, and everybody loves a story. I mean, testimony and the stories of faith, we can't underestimate the value. I sometimes think they're almost more powerful than an apologetic of the faith. In yeah. today's culture, this is my experience. This is what I've walked through. You can deny it, but this is what I've experienced. So that becomes a real conversation, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's so easy to pass on autobiographies. I mean, it's so easy. Whereas if I give them an apologetic book, it's going to be very difficult. But, oh, this is my story. Have a read of it. And I've written it in such a way that it is written for non-Christians, but it's written for Christians as well. And it does talk about leadership and business. Manoj, we're almost coming into land, but is there something, people have been listening, uh, they're kind of connected. They may think, I'm not sure whether I'm a gospel entrepreneur, I'm in church leadership, or I'm just a member in a church, in a community. What would you say in concluding our time together? Obviously, we've picked up on bits of your story. We give some insights. This is your final moment. I would say go and read Isaiah 43, where it says that God is doing a new thing because we are in a new season. The thing is that if we're in a new season, you know, some of the ideas and strategies of the old season won't work. And I suppose my, my encouragement would be if we're in a new season, that's all of us in a new season. That's everybody. It's not just church leaders, everybody. We're all part of the kingdom of God. So just to be open and expectant that God might use you in this new season in a new way. I'll just go away and pray, pray over Isaiah 43 and see how it speaks to you at this time. And Manoj, that thing you may see may not be there yet. You're creating something brand new into this context, which entrepreneurs often do. They see a need and they think, well, there's nothing there. I'm going to step into that space. Yeah. And for that, you need, you need boldness as well, don't you? You really do need courage. It's one thing I really enjoy listening to Gavin Calver, CEO of the EA, because he talks about being braver. And we do need to be brave and courageous as Christians. Manoj, thank you so much for giving the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Manoj, for joining me today. It was great to hear your story, particularly the scale of business that you moved to. And then just those principles that you brought as being an entrepreneur into the book that you've now uh, publishing deal that you've got and what you're doing in the local church is absolutely fantastic. I'll be back with another guest later next week. But if you've enjoyed Gospel Entrepreneurs, we'd also love you to leave a rating or a review if you can. Thanks for listening. It's been great to be with you. Gospel Entrepreneurs is a UCB podcast in partnership with Revelation Trust. Great to be with you.